for being here today. We are in a series called, What Difference Does God Make? And this is part two of a series we launched last week. And we're looking at this question, really honestly, from kind of two different perspectives. And you can ask it kind of two different ways. One, you can ask it aiming it at God, looking at everything that's going on around our world and ask the question, man, with everything that's happening in our world, what difference does God make? But then you can also take that same question and flip it around and really aim it at yourself and say, you know what, looking around with all the people that are in my lives, my neighbors, my coworkers, uh, my family members, what difference does God make in my life? Is my life that much different from those I work with or those that uh, uh, I live with or those that are around me? And so we're looking at this question kind of from two different perspectives. But uh, today I, I want us to uh, take a look at this idea of who God is and what he is in our lives. But before we do that, um, I thought I would um, do something that can engage all of us in here. You know, how many of you grew up in the 70s? Let me see the 70s. Any 70s people? Come on, let's hear it for the 70s in the house. All right. 80s. 80s peoples. 90s. Yeah, majority of y'all. So y'all will not get any of this that I'm about to talk about. Um, I'm going to go back for all those that are in the 60s, 70s. I'm not even due before. If, if you're before, woohoo for you. And so <laughs> 60s, 50s, 40s, 30s, 20s. Come on now. All right. Awesome. All right. 20s. All right. So uh, this is what I want us to go through. All right, all right, help me out here. How many of you remember this show right here? How many remember this one right here? What is this? Mash. How many mash was your jam? That was your that was your that was your show. All right, mash, mash. Yeah, I remember this day. We're gonna go through a couple. We'll see if you can help us out here. How many remember this one right here? How many remember this one right here? Yeah, yeah. These people are all jacked up now, but it's um, they were good. They were good then. Come on, right? They were good then. It's what we all wanted to be like. Come on, Brady Bunch. Look at the next one. Watch it. Let me show you this next one. How many? How many remember this one right here? Y'all remember this is? How many, how many were happy days, people? Anybody? The Fonz? Anybody in here? Who had a crush on the Fonz? Anybody? All right, let's, let's let the truth be known, okay? He could never say he's sorry, though, so that's an issue. All right. How about the next one? Let me show you the next one. How about this one? How do you remember this one right here? Moving on up. Come on. I'm about to get, get my church on. Okay. Let me, let me, how about the next one? Watch. We'll move into the 80s. How do you remember this one right here? Looking around the world today. Okay, so... Cheers. All right. Look at the next one. Watch out. How about this one? I remember this one right here. Y'all remember what this one was? The Wonder Years. Yeah, it was Wonder Years. Watch the next one. How about this one right here? Now we're getting into the 90s now. And okay, now we get, how many of this was, this was what you watch right here. Okay, so my wife bought the entire set of Full House DVDs, all of them, all the years. They were supposedly for my boys. Till I saw her watching them on the couch as she was re, uh, reliving her childhood days. This was this was this was a good one. This was good. One. How about the next one? How many remember this one right here? Come on, how many how many how many of my '90s people right here? Saved by the Bell. How many remember that Zach Moranis phone? That thing was huge. That thing was big, big old thing. And then of course this is my this is my favorite one right here. This is my all-time favorite one right here. Come on now, any Fresh Prince? Yeah, I, I, I would rap for you, but I don't think you can handle it. I don't think, I don't think y'all can do that. I don't think y'all, I feel like 1115. No, I ain't going to do that. I ain't going to do it. 
couple of guys that were up no good started making trouble in my neighborhood. They got in one little fight and my mom got scared. She said, you moving with your auntie and uncle Belair? <laughs> all right. I whistled for a cab, but when it came near, all right, all right, let's go. Let's get in the word today, okay? Seriously. So these shows, here's, here's the thing about these shows. Here's the reason why I bring all these up. Because back in the day, if you wanted to watch these shows, if these shows came on at 7 o'clock at night, you had to be in front of the TV at 7 o'clock at night to watch these shows. If you were not in front of the TV when these shows came on, you didn't watch it. That's just how it was. Uh, if it came on at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, you had to be in front of the TV at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And by the way, you had to watch commercials. Go figure. Commercials. You had to go watch them. Unless you, if you had a VCR. Come on, how many of you programmed your VCR to record any of those days? Okay, you had that VCR. Tried, could never get that clock set. Anyways, so those were the days back in the day. You had to be there in order to watch it. But now everything's on demand. It's totally different now. Now if it shows up at 6 o'clock at night and you're not there, it don't matter. You can watch it the entire next week. You can actually binge watch an entire season in one sitting if you want. So this weekend, my wife and I had no kids. No kids this weekend. I'm jacked up right now. I'm so excited. And, uh, and so my mom took my boys. It was my son's birthday, so they went and had their own birthday. So yesterday, yesterday, after I get back from our, our men's life group, I got back and I said, okay, babe, what do you want to do? This whole day, it's ours. Do whatever you want to do. She said, nothing. She didn't say nothing. She said, I want to do nothing. <laughs> I said, okay, like, what does that mean? Because I don't do nothing. She said, I'd love to catch up on our shows. So we binged watched all day. I caught up on every show there is. I know everything that's happening. This Is Us, is, it's good. I still cried. I mean, all that stuff is happening. Any This Is Us fans? All right, anyways. All right, good doctor. We're, we're caught up on everything. We could, we could get all of that. We got it all yesterday. My brain is mush a little bit right now because it's just sat there relaxing in front of the TV. We don't do that too often. But we can be on demand. We like things on demand, by the way. That's why we like now. You don't even have to go shopping anymore because you have Amazon. And you can get it in two days. Sometimes one day if you'll pay an extra $3. We can get things on demand. We like things that are instant. Instant food. Instant gratification. Instant abs. Everything's instant. Right? Isn't this true? Everything that we're sold on is you can have it and you can have it right now if you want it. The problem with that, though, is, is that in our relationship with God, we can take that same concept and we think that we have an on-demand God. And as soon as you pray for something, it should happen. And then you realize it don't happen that way. And we're wondering why in the world, if I'm doing these things that I'm supposed to be doing, then why am I not getting the instant results that I should also be getting? It, it, it blows our mind in this. Let me, let, I, I made a visual for you to maybe kind of help you out here. So here's the visual that I made. So I want you to imagine you, whether you're single or married or whatever, and then there's your desires, the things that you want in your life. 
And these are usually good things. We talked a little bit about this last week. You know, you, you want the God life or you want the, you want the good things that come with God. You want a good marriage. You want a good job. You want to have a good finances. You want to have relationships that are healthy and not full of conflict. You want to have whatever it is. You want to have good kids growing up. You have your desires that you want. Whatever that target is. Think about what you've been praying over the last week. And probably it, it's these desires that you have. God, I just want that man, or I just want that this. I want that. Okay, and this is how we do it, though. So within that, then we have God. And God kind of sits kind of above all of this right now. And what we do is we pray to God to give us what we want. And that's kind of how the relationship with God goes. We, 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 we kind of create God as a means to an end. We look to God for prayer, for help, to help us with whatever is in this target, whatever was within this box. Here, here's, here's maybe a way to put it, if we can put it. Um, God is only as valuable, if you want to take some notes, if you're taking some notes, you can write this down. God is only as valuable as he is useful. God is only as valuable as he is useful. Let me show you how this works. So you prayed for something, and then God didn't answer it, or he didn't answer it the way that you want it. So now here's the question. Well, what difference does God make in this? You're a teenager and your, your parents are fighting constantly, constantly. They're talking about divorce. And so you're a teenager and you're praying, God, please let them not get a divorce. Let them not get a divorce. And they get a, a divorce. And so now you're like, well, what difference does God make? You, you, you're praying, God, I, I just want a child. I want a child. Everybody around me is having babies and I can't have a baby. And God, I just want a child. I want a child. And, and you can't. And so, well, where's God in all this? Or, or, or you've been giving, you've been serving, you've been helping, you've been reading your Bible, you've been doing kind of all the things that a Christian person would do, and yet your life is kind of falling apart, and things around you are breaking down, and it seems like everything's getting worse. And so the question is, what, where's God in all this? God is only as valuable as he is useful. And you can change this out, really, honestly, with anything. The Bible is only as valuable as it is useful. So I go to the Bible looking for answers, and when it doesn't give me the answers I want, then it's not useful anymore. Prayer is only as valuable as it is useful. I'm praying, I'm praying, and God's not answering my prayers, and so therefore prayer is really not that useful. Church, church is, is valuable only when it's useful. And so I go to church, and then I feel like I'm not really getting anything out of it. I really don't like that music, and I really don't like that guy, and I really don't like this. And so it's really not useful anymore, so therefore it is no longer valuable. Y'all see how this plays out in our society? Have you ever seen that? Maybe even in your own life? The things that you thought that were valuable, they're only valuable as much as they're useful to you. When they're no longer useful for you, you feel like they're not valuable anymore. There was a book in 2005 called Soul Searching. You can look it up on Amazon if you want to. It was two people that wrote this book, and they interviewed 3,000 teenagers to try to determine how their faith, their relationship with God, impacted the way that they lived. So they surveyed 3,000 teenagers, 75% of them were already were Christian kids, grew up in Christian homes. They interviewed these kids, and uh, they, they came out with this book. Uh, this book was a byproduct of this survey that they did. And here's what they derived from the survey. What we heard from most teens is essentially that religion makes them what? What's those two words? Makes them feel good, okay? So church makes them feel good. Going to youth group makes them feel good that it helps them make good choices, that it helps them resolve problems and troubles, and that it serves, what? Their felt needs. 
Seems pretty good, somewhat, right? I mean, it sounds good. Look at the next one, though. It says, in simple terms, religion is essentially a tool for people to use to get what they want. So what they're saying is, is the graph that I just showed you, what they want, their desires, they're using a tool to get what they want, as determined not by religion or by their God, but by their individual feelings and desires. How I many know an on-demand God is great until that on-demand God doesn't give you what you demand? <laughs> and so what ends up happening is, is this on-demand God that we've created, he should give me what I want when I want. When he doesn't do what you want, then we decide, well, God, either God's not there, God's not good, God's not powerful enough, and God's not in here. Y'all with me? And so what we've done is we've created God to be a God that meets our needs. And how many of you know an on-demand God does not exist? Y'all know that? Hey, hey let, me, let me put it another way that might, might help you. God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. I knew I'd only get two amens on that one. <laughs> I'll help you out again. God doesn't exist to serve us. We exist to serve him. There we go. That helps a little bit more. The reason we have a hard time amening that is because we honestly believe God exists to serve us. We think God is like a divine butler going about doing little things here and there, and then whenever we need him, we just ring the bell, and we pray a prayer, and God comes, you rang? <laughs> what could I do for you? Or we think God is almost like some kind of cosmic Coke machine, and our prayers are like tokens that we throw in, and we just push the button, and out comes an answered prayer. And so we're throwing up all these little tokens into that machine, and we're pushing that button, and nothing's coming out. And we're trying to figure out, why in the world are these prayers not getting answered? So we've got to ask the question, what is God's role? What does God actually do in our lives? I think, honestly, if we look at culture and we look at people all over the world, I honestly believe most people have a very distorted view of God. They think God is one way when in actuality he's really a different way. And how many know if you have a distorted view of God when God doesn't do what you think he should do, how many know then that's when you leave? And so today I want to help give you a clear picture of the heart of God, but then I also want to show you what God does not do. Because if you can walk out of here understanding what God does and what God doesn't do, then I think it'll help you in your faith, especially when you're walking through very, very difficult times. So let's start here. Number one, three qualities of the heart of God. Number one, if you're taking notes, God's heart is always loving. God's heart is always loving. How many parents I got in the house? Parents, grandparents, okay, all right. Two things I know about parents, okay? I don't even have to know you, but I do know these two things about you already. Number one is that there's nothing that your kids can ever do to make you not love them. You will love them no matter what. True? No matter what. No matter how crazy they are, you're going to love them no matter what. Now, you may want to trade them. <laughs> Anybody in here know that? You may want to beat them into Wednesday, but, but you love them. You love them. So that's, that I know. Number two I know is there are times when you don't do what they want you to do, even though you could do it. Amen. <laughs> right? All right, so they want you to do something for them, and you say no, but you could do it for them. 
All right, so I have three boys, and uh, they're all in elementary age, grade school. And as of lately, there's been a big thing in our house about not forgetting things for school. Um, so it's like, don't forget your lunch. Don't forget any parents in here on repeat on a lot of things. Repeat, just constant repeat. Hey, you need shoes, shoes, shoes. You're going to school. You need shoes, shoes, shoes. We're, you, I know we go to Hathaway and I know it's country, but you need shoes. Okay. We need some shoes here. Okay. So lately it's been food, your lunch. So Lindsay, you know, prepares their lunch and everything for them and it's got it all ready. And, you know, all the boys, three lunch things are sitting on the, uh, on the counter. And Joel's kind of like a cafeteria guy. He'll eat anything. He loves cafeteria food. So Lindsay doesn't have to cook for him for the most part. But Judah and Joel, I mean, Judah and Cy, not so much. So they always got their prepared lunch. And so it's been, hey, you need to remember your lunch. So I take the boys to school and I come back and Lindsay's like, uh-oh. I said, babe, what's up? She said, guess who forgot their lunch? And I was like, who? And I'm, to protect him, I'm not going to say who it was, my middle son. And, um, (laughs) and so she's like, hey, baby, go grab the lunch, go bring it back to him. I said, "Uh uh-uh, no, this ain't happening. She said, babe, go bring, he's going to starve. Bring that boy some lunch. I said, he going to starve once, (laughs) once. She's like, babe, go bring the, go bring him. I said, I stood my ground like a good husband does. And I said, okay, I'm going to bring, no, I'm joking. So I, <laughs> I did, I stood my ground. And so she understood. I said, babe, listen, we cannot take away the consequence of this because he won't learn. Okay, could I have brought the lunch? Yes or no? Yes. But I chose not to bring the lunch because I wanted to teach something to him, not bring something to him. Y'all with me here? Could it be that there are answers to prayers that are not happening or that are no or that are wait because God knows something that we don't know or God's doing something in you that you don't know? So you're going, God, I need that man. God, I need that man. God, I need. And he's like, no, no. Because I mean, no, you get that man and you're like, I'm a fool. He's a fool. We all fools. Get out. And God's like, I told you. Right? Okay. Well, then that's within any regards. We're always praying, God, do this. God, do that. And sometimes God says, no. And then we get mad at him for not doing it. So my son comes home. Dad, you didn't bring my lunch to me. I said, I promise you, son, you'll never forget your lunch again. (laughs) And by the way, if you do, just want to let you know, I've already got mama on my side. Nobody bringing you a lunch again. (laughs) This is responsibility. You got to learn this. But how many times, hey, with our kids, we take the responsibility and they don't learn the lesson. We got to let them learn learn that lesson. Now, why, why would I do that? I'm not trying to punish him trying to teach him. And there are some things in our lives where we're praying for God to do something and he's not giving us what we want. Not because he's punishing you, but because he's teaching you. Y'all with me here? So let me show you this, this verse here. Okay. So this verse right here is, um, Romans 8 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Okay. God is always loving. Remember, Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Oh, wait, hold on. Let me let me let me modernize this because I don't think anybody in here is going to be naked with a sword this week. So, (laughs) let me 
And if you are, that's another message. We'll talk about that some other time. So let me modernize this a little bit. Okay, what, what shall separate us from the love of God? Marital issues, financial trouble, relational tension, depression. Should any of those separate us from God's love? Here's the answer, verse 37. No. No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who what? Who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers. Pause real quick. Just want to let you know what, what's happening here. Paul's making sure you understand that there's nothing. He's like covering everything. Present, past, death, life, hell, heaven. Like he's doing like, I just want to let you know, there's nothing you can walk through, nowhere you can go, nothing that's happening, demons or angels, that can ever stop you from getting the love of God. Look at the next verse, and it says... Neither height nor death nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God's heart is always loving. And how many of you know that the, that the greatest thing that the enemy wants to do in your life is to make you doubt how much God loves you? Isn't this what he did in the garden at the very beginning of all of creation? God says, you can have all of the trees except one. There's one. Just don't eat the one. You can have all of them. I mean, no, there's a lot of trees, thousands and thousands and thousands of trees. And what does the enemy come in and he slithers in and he tells them, hey, listen, isn't that tree good? Do you see? If he's a good God, why is he holding something good from you? Why is he holding this from me? And, and what does he do? He gets our, her, her, her uh, perspective off of the thousands of trees that they can eat from on the one that they can't. And isn't this how the enemy works? He takes your eyes off of all the blessings that you have in your life, and he makes you think about that one thing you feel entitled to. And he says, if God was good, he wouldn't be holding this from you. And what do you do? All of a sudden, you derail the character of God. If God's not good, then guess what? Now I can do whatever I want because he's not a good God. But how many know God's a good God and a loving God? Everything God's doing and allowing in your life is because he loves you. You say, now that's a hard statement to make because you don't realize, Pastor Josh, some of the stuff that's happened in my life that's not very loving, and it's not very good. I understand that. Some of that is just because of sin. But God doesn't prove his love by meeting your needs. God has proven his love by sending Jesus to meet your greatest need, by the way. Y'all know that, right? If, listen to me. If God never does one more thing for you and me, he's done enough, right? He has proven his love to us in one of the greatest demonstrations that you and I never would do, which is he dies for us. So may we never say God owes us something. He don't owe us anything. He's given his life and everything already. God so loves you. So whatever you're going through right now, go ahead and pull out that lie that God doesn't love you. Because he does. Let me give you the second one. Number two, his ways are always higher. His ways are always higher. Now I've done a number of funerals. And, 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 and I... I tell people a lot of times at funerals, especially if they're tragic ones that, that just were surprises and things that happen, is I can't explain why things happen the way they do. I mean, just this past week, someone we've been praying for as a church for a long time, a young mother that was battling with cancer, passed away from it. A couple a month or so ago, we had a grandmother in our church that had a very, very tragic uh, accident happen with her grandson on a motorcycle. Young kid. 
We've had suicides, we've had deaths, we've had tragedy, we've had cancer, we've had floods, we got earthquakes now happening in Mexico, we got hurricanes hitting all these different states, we got fires rampantly raging in California, taking lives and homes. What's going on? And how is a good God in the midst of all of this? And I cannot by any means tell you why things happen the way they do. I don't understand. Some of it's just sin in our lives, our sin in the world. Some of it is just a, living in a broken world. But I, I do know this. I do know that God's ways are higher than ours. And I do know that God never wastes pain. Those two things I know for sure. Let me show you a scripture here in Isaiah. This is God speaking. He says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. Look at this next verse. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so, what is this? My ways are higher than who? Your ways. And what? My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. I take great comfort in recognizing that God's smarter than me. Anybody else in here? I'm so glad I serve a God that's not as dumb as I am. You should be very excited about that as well. Okay, he, and, and I love the fact that he's already in tomorrow, and I'm not. And he's in next week and next month and so on. He's not, he's not bound by time, which gives me a lot of confidence. I'm so grateful that every single one of my days are numbered, which means I don't die too early. Y'all know that, right? Now, people die too early for us, but no one dies too early for God. God knows when they were born. God knows when they will die. So guess what? I can live my life with full just abandonment because I know that there's never going to be a day that I'm going to go when it's too early. God is in the midst of everything. And here's what I need you to hear me. If you're walking through a very difficult time right now in whatever area of your life, you don't have to understand God's hand to trust his heart. You don't have to understand his hand to trust his, God, why is this that? Why is this? Why is this? How many know sometimes you never get the answers to why? Sometimes I, I think there's going to be hopefully maybe answers on the other side when we get into heaven and we can sit down with God and go, okay, we need some explanation on this one. And maybe we'll get some then. I don't even know if we'll get any then. But I don't have to understand his hand in order to trust his heart. I can trust his heart. His heart is good. His heart is loving. His heart is always doing things and well for me. How many have had a situation in your life where you were fighting God for something? You were fighting God about a decision or fighting God about something that was happening in your life. And some time passed, some things progressed. Maybe it was even a difficulty season that you were walking through. Time progressed, and then you looked back in hindsight and realized God was actually protecting you. And you've all had those moments? Or God was actually sustaining you more than you even realized. That God was meeting your needs and you were complaining about all this stuff and God was, God was taking care of things and you didn't even realize that he was doing all that until hindsight you look back and you're like, okay, God, you were good. Yeah, mm-hmm. So uh, a, a number of years ago, my family and I were uh, trying to get a bigger house. Um, we lived in a small 1,100 square foot house. We had three boys. Our boys were growing up fast. Joel was not doing so well, so we had medicine all over the place. And to top it all off, we had a, we had a horse the size of a small pony. 
Um, it was just a massively big horse in a very small house. And, uh, and so I, uh, we began this process of really trying to find a bigger house. And so we went through all the stuff, put our house on the market, all this different things that started happening. And uh, just was excited about getting a bigger, a, a bigger upgrade of a house. We needed space. We couldn't have any people over at our house. We could barely fit our own people, our own uh, kids and family. And so I just wanted to have a house so we could entertain people and have people in our home and have life groups and all this stuff. So started this process. And um, over the next couple of years, we had different people that would come on, sign contracts, and then it would fall. Sign contracts, and then it'd fall. We'd find a house that we, we would want. We'd put it under contract with a contingency of selling our house. And then we'd go to sell our house, and then it would fall. And this happened literally over the course of three or four years. We were showing our house. Uh, people were coming in and out of our house. How many of you have ever had to show your house? Like you had a real estate agent, and they call you like 10 minutes before, and they're like, hey, we're going to show your house. And you're like, everything under the bed, guys. Everything under the bed. Everything, everybody put everything under the bed. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Three boys. They're like, hey, it ain't happening. You're going to take it as is. All right? It's a live. It's a home. Okay? So, so we started this process, of course, and it was years and years. And, and if I'll be very honest, I was getting very, very frustrated with God. Because I felt like I was wanting something, not just personally for us, but to bless our church, to bless people. Uh, you know, God, if this is your home, I want to use it for you. Like, I felt like it was a good request. Yet God was constantly going, no, 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 no. And so literally, Lindsay and I took our house off the market and said, you know what, forget this. If God, God undoubtedly doesn't want us to sell this, we just need to be content with where we are. And so we, made, we, 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 we prayed and said, okay, God, we'll be content to stay here. So that's what we did. Well, a couple months went by, and I got an invitation to go speak at our Church of the King in Lake Charles with Pastor Todd Schumacher. Pastor Todd Schumacher is, of course, from Jennings, for those that may or may not know him. Um, he's from Jennings. His family's from here and everything. So I go, and I'm, I preach there. We get done. We go have lunch with Todd and his wife, Lisa, and we're sitting down, and he said, hey, man, aren't y'all trying to sell your house? I said, don't, I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> he said, no, listen, are, are you really? I said, yes, I've been trying to sell it. It can't sell. And I said, and, and uh, we're finding houses that we think are good for us, but I can't buy these houses. I can't sell mine. And he said, have you ever thought about my, about my dad's house? Now, for those that don't know, Todd, Todd's dad is, was a radiologist in town, owned like, I mean, he's got money and, and all this stuff. And so I was like, well, you know I'm a pastor, right? <laughs> I There's no way I can afford your dad's house. And he said, man, you just need to go buy it. You just need to go look at it. I said, oh, God, don't, I'm not even going to tease my wife with that. He said, I'm telling you, you need to go by. He'll work you a deal. I was like, well, it better be a really good deal. So I go by, and, uh, and, and so Dr. Chris welcomes and his wife. They welcome us into their home. And so, and so he's walking around. He's like, man, let me give you a tour of the house. And so he's walking around the house. I'm like, man, this is so nice. And I walk around the house, and he's like, hey, man, you see this here? It's broke. You're going to need to fix this when you move in. And, and, and then he's walking me, hey, you see this right here? You see this right Yeah, it's kind of, it's damaged. You're going to need to fix this when you move in. And then you see this, and it had a pool. And he's like, you know, the pool needs some work. You know, when it's your pool, you just need to fix it all. And so at the end of all this, I said, Doc, listen, you keep saying when I move in and when it's my house, like, I don't think I can pay for this house. I said, how much do you want for this house? And he told me how much it was. And I said, it's your house. It ain't my house. <laughs> I ain't buying this house. And he looks at me and he says, if God wants you to have this house, it's yours. And I said, well, I'm glad you got more faith than I do. And, uh, and so I walked out. My wife and I walked out of there and said, literally, it would have to be a God thing. It's the only way. Six months pass, nothing happens. Um, and he calls me one day and he says, hey, man, what's, what's the latest on your house? 
I said, I can't sell it worth nothing. He said, I'll tell you what, why don't you come rent my house and, and move all your stuff out of your house and let's just make a faith step and you just rent it. I said, well, I can rent it. And so he gave me a great deal just to rent it. So we rented it and put our house back, back on the market and uh, still couldn't afford it. There's no way we could afford it. And, uh, and a couple months pass, and someone in my, my wife's family calls and says, hey, uh, did you find a house yet? And so she told him about this house and said, well, how much is it? And we told him how much it was. And he said, how much can you afford? And we told him how much you afford. He says, I'll take care of all the rest moving to that house. It's your house. And so I called him back up. I said, hey, Dr. Chris, I, I just need to tell you something. He said, what's up? I said, God provided. <laughs> get the papers. And so now we live in a house that's a dream house of ours that someone else has blessed us with. And it was all God. And I look back now and I look at all of those four or five years of frustration where I was mad at God and I didn't realize God was saving me for this house. Y'all with me here? I wonder how many times that's happening in our lives where we're asking God for this, 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 and he's got great but we're settling for good when he wants great. And we get mad when he's not even giving us good, not realizing that he's holding out for the man of your dreams, not the man of your present. Y'all with me here? Or the house or the vehicle or the job or the whatever. You fill in whatever that is. What is God wanting here? And that's one story of many where God's done that in my life in so many ways. But how many know his ways are always higher than ours? Which actually leads to number three, and that is God's presence is always enough. God's presence is always enough. How I many know oh, King David knew what it was like to trust God when things didn't make sense? If you go read the Psalms, David is always saying things like, God, why is this happening? God, where are you? God, why am I running for my life constantly? Why are these enemies chasing me? These are things he's constantly saying. And no one has seen more dark valleys than David has. He's seen some, I mean, people aren't just slandering him on Facebook. Like, they're chasing him with spears. Okay? Serious things that are going on. And yet, David had this overwhelming confidence. And look what he says, actually. Look at this verse in Psalms 23, one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible. And he says this. David says, even when I walk through the what? The darkest valley, the darkest times, the hardest times of my marriage, the hardest times of my life, the hardest times of what I'm going through. I won't be afraid. And here's why I won't be afraid. Because God's presence is enough. You're always with me. That's another thing that often happens when we go through dark times is not only do we think that God's not good, we think that God has abandoned us. Right? Where's God in all this? It's a question that we ask oftentimes. But this says that even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid. How many of you have walked through some dark moments in life? Anybody in here? I've walked through a, a share of my own. And I can't tell you, worship has never been sweeter than when I've walked through the hardest times of my life. The presence of God has never been more thick and tangible than when I've been at a bedside praying over my son. In these dark moments, none of us desire, none of us want, but we oftentimes we'll feel the presence of God more in these dark moments than any other time. And I think God will often allow us to walk through the dark so we can seek the light. Y'all with me? We're in the midst of the dark, not to stay in the dark to be depressed, 
but to seek the light in the midst of the dark. David said, I don't have to be afraid because you are with me. How I many know we oftentimes will experience the presence of God more in the valley than we do in the mountaintops? When I walk through the, the valley, we want life to be all mountaintops. Anybody married? All mountaintops? If so, you're on your honeymoon. You haven't gotten home yet. Okay, that toilet seat's still down. Just wait. If that's your darkest moment, by the way, you don't got real problems. <laughs> the darkest valley, you are with me. God's presence is so near. Let me put it another way. Maybe you just write this down. Until God is all you have, you'll never realize God is all you need. Until God is all you have. And some of you, that is the reality of where you're at right now. God is all that you have. There is no other options. There's no other way. But you hopefully are coming to the realization that that's all you actually need. And sometimes God will destroy where we put our false hope so we can find true hope. And it is oftentimes in our lives that we don't come to church and we don't run to God and we don't get counseling, we don't get wisdom, and we don't get help from people until we are in our darkest moment. And then we say, okay, now, God, now you can have a shot. And God's wanting you to say, hey, could we maybe just do this first before we have to get to this? But God loves us so much that he will let you get to the darkest moment so you can seek him. Let me show you what this verse says in Colossians 1, talking about who God is. Everything was created through God and what? And for him, everything was created. That means you and I, everything in this world was created through him, for him. He existed for anything else, and he holds all creation together. He's got the whole world. He's got the whole world. Y'all getting better. We're getting there. We're going to start that OSC choir soon. All right. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. Look at the next verse. And it says, he is the what? He's the beginning. He's supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. Go back to that verse before. It says that God is the creator. We are the creation. That God, everything that was created was through him and for him, now I want you to notice this though, and he holds all creation together. I want you to think about this. God holds all of the world, everything in our universe together. He holds it together. This is what Jesus does. He's holding everything together. So let me ask this question. If God can hold the whole world and the whole universe together, could he also hold your life together? I think so. And this also begs to ask the question, is that if your life is falling apart, could it be that you're holding on to it and not him? Which goes into this next verse, Matthew 6, which says we seek first the what? What is this word right here? The kingdom of God. All right, pause real quick. So in this world, there are two kingdoms. There is the kingdom of God. We know the most famous prayer in all of scripture is the what? What prayer? Lord's prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. On earth. 
Your kingdom come. What, what are you talking about? Your kingdom come. Speaking of what, what is going on in heaven, what is in heaven, we want that to come. Which, hey, by the way, you know what came from heaven? It's got a name. Jesus. That's why when Jesus shows up in the scene, he says, the kingdom is here. Jesus is the kingdom of God. But, but remember, I said there's two kingdoms, and they're at war with each other. There's the kingdom of God, which represents Jesus and who he is and all that he brings. And then there is the kingdom of self. And they are at odds with one another. Because I know whatever is first in your life is central in your life. And whatever is central in your life is first in your life. And oftentimes, we're not seeking first God's kingdom. We're seeking first our kingdom. So our verse would say, seek first my kingdom and my righteousness, and hopefully I can get all these things. That's how it plays out in our lives. But what if we concentrated on making Jesus' kingdom and him first and central in our lives? You know, oftentimes when we talk about seeking first, we think, okay, I need God. We got like a priority list. I need God, and then my marriage, and then my kids, and then my job, and you know, I need to make sure that I got God at the top. Well, how exactly does that work? Does it, you know, you call your boss, and you're like, sorry, I couldn't come into work. I was spending time with God. Does that work? <laughs> You know, baby, sorry, listen, I was, I was here, and it, it just doesn't really work. Let's change the paradigm here. Instead of maybe putting God first, why don't we put him central? Why don't we put him center? Meaning, instead of God, family, work, all that other stuff, why don't we put God in our family? Why don't we put God in our work? Why don't we put God in our marriage? Y'all with me here? When we put him central, he's first in every area of our life. What would it look like if God was the central of your finances? How would you work differently if God was at the center of the way that you worked? So we want this in our life. Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to see this real quick because uh, let, let's ask these two questions, okay? I know you got two, two more spots at the end, and you're just waiting to get them filled in. Two questions. Number one, are you asking God to help build your kingdom? Are you asking God to help build your kingdom? Let me show you this, this graph that I showed you earlier. I'm going to show it just a little bit differently. There's you and your kingdom, your desires, your wants. By the way, these are good things. I don't think you're asking for evil things. I'm not asking for evil things. The problem, though, is I'm trying to use God to get what I want. That's the issue that's happening. So we're seeking happiness and hoping God can give us the happiness. The problem with that is, is when you seek happiness and not seek God, you don't get both. But let me, let, me, let me ask you the second question. Here's the second question. So the second question is, are you asking God to build his kingdom in your life? Now that's a different question to ask. Am I asking God to help build my kingdom or am I asking God to build his kingdom in my life? Because I believe, let me show you this one now. Let's change it. What if we pursued God's kingdom first? Well, Matthew 6, says, if I will seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, go back to that verse, God's kingdom and his righteousness, what happens? All these things get added. You're trying to get your marriage better by focusing on working on your marriage and you're not realizing you're missing the power because you should be seeking God. Y'all with me here? 
You want to fix your anger problem, your issues that you got going on. I'm just so mad. You're trying to get yourself to stop being angry. Just seek Jesus. He'll fix that. When we pursue Jesus, pursue his desires, he changes the behavior. But if you just try to change the behavior without Jesus, you're going to be mad next week too. And the next, and the next. Everything that you're looking for is in God. It's in his kingdom. We're going to seek it first. We're going to put it central. And I believe when we seek his kingdom, all these things, all these things you're praying for, these good things, I believe he starts answering them. Maybe still not in your time because he's still doing a work, but he does begin to start 